2: Hey, good afternoon. Welcome back to the program. Hope you enjoyed the first part of the show. Don't forget, uh, knssradio.com, podcast upper right corner, uh, slide down to the good life, and uh, you got uh, every segment for the last two years you can uh, catch up. Uh, The final segment, Wine of the Week, is always one of my favorites. This is a wine that uh, unfortunately is not available at Jacob Liquor Exchange. The winery is located in Napa. Fairly small producer, but a big-name producer, uh, making stellar wines, and going to be represented at our American Institute of Wine and Food dinner on May 12th, Thursday at 6.30 p.m. Uh, at Chester's Chop House. We'll tell you more about that, and you can always learn more about this dinner at AIWFWichita.org. Joining me now is uh, Director of Marketing Rod Santos. He's out in Napa and is nice enough to let us interrupt his day today. Rob, welcome. Rod, welcome to The Good Life. Thanks, Guy.
1: I appreciate you having me.
2: Well, I just uh, uh, my good life's got better. I just poured some 2019 Chardonnay. We'll talk about the wines in a minute, <laughs> but in the brief period that we have together, let's talk a little bit about the history of the winery. Uh, this is a long time producer or a long time history of winemaking. And right. uh, and uh, wow, Mr. Harrison, the current Mr. Harrison, Bill Harrison, uh, has a, a great some great contributions to the wine business. Tell us about
1: it. He does. He, uh, he grew up in a family of winemakers that we think is he's the 12th generation in to uh, produce wine. His maternal grandfather and great uncle came here to California from Southern Italy in 1902. And they had been trained. They had been schooled in winemaking, which wasn't really a thing here in California yet. Uh, and his grandfather was a prolific winemaker. He, uh, from the time they arrived until he passed away in nineteen seventy six, he made wine all over the state of California. He went to Mexico in nineteen ten and planted a seven hundred acre vineyard, which is the largest vineyard in the country at the time. Uh, and then post prohibition he built a big winery in the Central Valley of California in the San Joaquin Valley. He was a contemporary at the Gallo Brothers and uh, in those days the only way to make wine in the wine uh, or excuse me, to make money in the wine industry was in volume so these guys produced a lot of wine you know folks now know gallo as a, as a producer of large quantities of not very expensive wine uh, they also make very good wine in different labels but the point is that they come from a time when uh california wine really didn't command much of a price and so you had to uh get your get, get you know make your make your money in producing a lot so, uh, Antonio Prelli Minetti was his name. And uh, when he had his vineyard in Mexico, that's where Bill's mom was born. Actually, his, uh, his uncle, his, his uncle Mario, who was the oldest uh, son, and then his mom was the next child in line. And um, she married Harrison, which is where Bill's name, name comes from. But the Prelli Minetti family is really who he identifies with and has always worked in the wine industry himself.
2: Interesting. And, you know, I, yeah. I, I think it's so cool. He was, if not the first, one of the first to come up with the idea of mobile bottling lines.
1: That's right. And so after uh, Antonio passed away in the mid-'70s, Bill and his uncle, who had worked together at a company called California Wine Association, they were promoting 200 brands of wine and uh, brandy and other wine uh, other great products nationwide and uh the family had leveraged a lot to put to build his big winery in the central valley and so they kind of wanted out of the wine business they sold that winery they dissolved their interest in the california wine association which was really a a large conglomerate of uh, wineries at the time and so his uh bill's uncle mario went back to san francisco and was practicing law he was an attorney stanford trained attorney and then bill uh took him a few years but he the 40th lender finally gave him the money to start his mobile bottling company. as a the second a successful co- company, similar company, in the U.S. Uh, in 1982. And so he, wow. he, let, he sold it on the basis, you know, small wineries really can't afford bottling equipment. A good bottling line today is about half a million dollars. Uh, little winery like ours, 2,000 cases. We only bottle eight or ten days out of the year. So it does, it's not a great investment. He knew that, and he uh, sold it on that basis. He says, if I come to you, uh, I'll bottle your wine for you on the premises, and then you get to keep the designation estate bottles. Estate bottled means that all everything that happens that goes into that bottle has to happen on our property. Uh-huh. So we have to grow the grapes, make the wine, age the wine, and then bottle it all here on the premises to keep that designation. It's the government's ultimate sign of uh, – that you've had control of that wine from the very beginning. So uh, he did very well, and a year later bought this property that we're in in Rutherford, um, replanted the vineyard to Cabernet Sauvignon and its, and its associate grapes. Uh, at the time, there was Petit Syrah and Chenin Blanc planted here, and as Bill says, he couldn't give those grapes away in those days. <laughs> uh, he replanted the vineyard right away, and then he approached his Uncle Mario who he had worked with at California Wine. Mario was making wine right down the road from us here at a winery called Rutherford Hill. And um, they, he had a, he had his own label with his name on it, and he was doing pretty well. And so Bill approached him in 1985, three years after he started the bowling company, and said, Why don't, he says, if I build you a winery here, will you lease it from me? You can make your wine here, and then when you retire, I'll buy you out. So Mario agreed. They moved in here in '85. That fall, crushed his first fruit here. And then um, uh, in 1993, they had a little argument. Bill was selling him, Bill was selling him his grapes for Mario's Cabernet Sauvignon, and uh, they had a little argument about the price. So Bill says, you know what, I'm going to start my own label, and I'll make you my first custom crush client. So they kept making Mario's wine here until he passed away in 2010. He never retired. That piece of the story never happened. But um, they kept making his wine here, and then Bill started his own label in '93. Wow.
2: Uh, and you know, I, I, it's so fun when we've been talking about the dinner that you're going to be here in Wichita for, and talking about yeah. William Harrison wines. Uh, some of my most prolific wine consumers and uh, aficionados go, "Who? Where? From Napa?" And I, I think <laughs> yeah. what, what, owing that yeah. to the fact that with uh, just a hair over two thousand cases. And selling everything pretty much direct to consumer or to restaurants in California. Right. No wonder, uh, you know. Right. And yeah. then, uh, boy, when we did the menu development yesterday, Rod, I'm telling you, yeah, it, it was so fun. And, and the wine shows so, so, it's so great to taste wine in the afternoon, as you well know. And then we just sure, start, well, we I, freewheeling about the food and the menu. It was a, it was a <laughs> wonderful time.
1: <laughs> We let, we we really do try to make the wines in and you know they're they're an older they're they're a little bit of a throwback to old Napa. In other words, they have some acidity, they have some structure to them, they have a little bit of tannin. So the idea is that we want the wines to to pair well with food. And as you know, guy, you know, starting in the mid late '90s, a lot of the wines being made in this area were were more lush and and fuller-bodied, higher-alcohol wines that were really meant more as a cocktail than as a food pairing uh, product. And Bill never went that direction. He, he stayed the course with the wines that had a little more structure to them so that if you were so inclined, if you happen to be a collector and you wanted to hold on to the wines for a few years, they would do well in the cellar, but also they made a more interesting pairing with different cuisine. And I think he's I think he's done well with that. So I'm glad to hear that uh, your your that your your pairing went went yeah. well yesterday. Yeah, the
2: excitement was great, and but just goes to show you he was a forward thinker, not only with bottling lines, but was staying the course with uh, uh, the right. more moderate uh, production. Um, did the wines sure. that we're going to be pouring to the dinner. You know, uh, go ahead. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to uh-huh. cut you off.
1: Well, no, I just I wanted I just threw I wanted to throw out there that part of the reason folks don't know our brand and is that Napa Valley is littered with a lot of these small wineries that um you know we Napa is famous for making wine but we're relatively small. In other words, there's close to five hundred wineries here, but we only make five percent of California's wine. So most of us are little smaller production facilities and just don't make enough wine to 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 distribute around the country. It's a it's a you know uh it's a highly competitive business, but we also kinda have to stay in our lane and, you know, <laughs> Uh, co- we, we would prefer to deal directly with the customers than to sip, ship to a, a distributor somewhere where we're never going to, we don't know how the wine's being marketed.
2: Well, and it's a good idea. Uh, the wine's being poured at the dinner. <clears throat> and again, folks, AIWF yeah. wine dinner at uh, Chester's Chop House is Thursday, May 12th. Details are at AIWFWichita.org. It's, uh, the price is there and wasn't firmed up when we. When, when we Did this segment, but it will be. Go check it out. And uh, the wines being poured is Sauvignon Blanc Chardonnay, Pinot Noir, and Cab Franc. And, uh, boy, when I look at the production-wise, the Carnero Chardonnay, only 350 cases. The 150 cases for the Pinot, and, oh, God, it was good. Uh, We didn't do (laughs) do the Cab because everybody wanted to do the Cabernet Franc because it's like the flagship, and only 300 cases of that produced. So let's talk about the wines. Right. I have two of them with me that I uh, I, I squandered from. Squander is not the best word. I, I, I stole from our <laughs> tasting yesterday. Uh, I got the 2019 Chardonnay. I, I poured uh, an ounce of my glass, and I sipped that while you first talked, and I just poured sure. some more. Let's talk about this. I, again, when I first smelled yeah. this, I, I thought this is uh, very Burgundian-like, but there is some oak. It mm-hmm. just doesn't seem like very much.
1: Right. The oak you find mostly in the aroma of that wine, not so much in the, in the, in the palate, and that's intentional. We want, we want a little of that characteristic, but mostly we want you to taste the fruit. We're paying good money for those grapes. The San Giacomo family in Sonoma are the growers. They're very well known. They're, they're, they have 1,600 acres of vines under their control. They're very good at what they do, so we don't have to manipulate their fruit much to make a pretty nice ball of wine. That's actually a blend of three different clones of Chardonnay. Um, you know, with the Burgundy varieties, you don't you don't blend varieties; you blend sites. Uh, so where the grapes are grown are really what have the influence on the on the flavor. And then you also got, of course, different um, different clones. And the clones just give you a little different expression of what Chardonnay should taste like. So we're lucky enough to have uh, some great fruit selection, especially given how little wine we make from that. Uh, you know, the San Giacomo's are g- good established family, so they, they're great to work with, and they deliver quality quality grapes to us uh, every every harvest season.
2: Well, you know, I got to tell you, the first time I had a San Giacomo Chardonnay was at Chateau Souverain with the winemaker, and I hate to say this. Oh, wow. But we're going back uh, – oh, God, <laughs> this is I, – I hate to do math in public, but this was 30 years ago. Yeah. Uh, you know, and <laughs> – and i've been right. such a fan and then i've spent time with the the San Giacomo boys that are running the show now and with their their yeah. individual label and this is they probably are so happy that you made this wine with their grapes. Sure.
1: A- we you know uh guy when we when we have more time and, and maybe during the dinner for AIWF we can talk a little bit about i have a little history with the San Giacomo's as well. Uh uh and it's a it's a you know these families uh, they get to know each other pretty well over the years, and it's a small industry, so your reputation is everything. And, and, and people like that who are true professionals at what they do, they, they, they're considerate toward their they, – they sell to probably 45 different wineries. Yeah. So uh, so they wouldn't be in that situation unless they uh, stood behind their behind their product. You bet.
2: Let's talk about the Cab Franc. So we're going to have the, sure. the 2019 Chardonnay uh, from, from Carneros from the San Jacmo Vineyard. But Cabernet Franc is a big deal. This is the 2016 uh, Napa Cab Franc from Rutherford, and we poured this in the glass. Right. And it, when we first poured it, to the com- some of the comments were, "It's a little restrained. I'm not getting a lot of aromas," and that changed mm-hmm. within 15 minutes.
1: Sure. Yeah. The, again, we, you know, this, that's a wine that's made with uh, 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 some structure. Cab Franc. Uh, People probably know it's the oldest grape in the Bordeaux region of France. It's a little thicker skin than Cabernet Sauvignon or Merlot, which are both its offspring. So it tends to be a little more restrained when it's young, which is why you're tasting 2016. We, we, I don't release that wine until it's five years old, and that's intentional because uh, it takes that time in the bottle to reach maturity. And, um, and even, even at five years old, five and a half years old, it's still young so it, it takes a little while to get the oxygen exposed to it for it to open up. And, as you said, once it's in the glass for ten or fifteen minutes, you start to you start to appreciate all those beautiful aromas. Um, our Cabernet Franc is what is the the wine we're best known for. Bill uh, actually, he was inspired by Inglenook. Inglenook, or uh, at the time it was Nibaum Coppola. Um, they made a they made a Cabernet Franc and their diamond label years ago that he really enjoyed. And so when he got this property, he decided to plant it partially to Cabernet Franc and make that wine. Uh, We're we're fortunate enough in Rutherford to have the right climate and soil that we can bottle Cab Franc 100% varietal. That's very unusual. And it's probably the reason we're best known for it is because we don't include any Cabernet Sauvignon or Merlot with it, which is typical uh, here in Napa. So uh, it's really, you're getting the full expression of that grape, given the, given the idea that it's in the, a warm climate. So.
2: Well, I'll tell you, uh, I've been sitting here sipping and snorting. I didn't get any up my nose, but I almost <laughs> wish I had. It's just such a pretty wine. Rod, I'm telling you, we're so lucky Thank to have you. you come into town. Uh, 300 cases of the Cab Franc, and we're going to have a case of it here right. at the, for the dinner. And uh, <laughs> we, we didn't get to talk about the Pinot or the Save Blanc. But uh, suffice it to say, we would have waxed equally as eloquent about both. Rod, uh, I bid you safe travels. I hope uh, your trip in here. And, uh, you know, yeah. I'd, I'd love to have you over for dinner if you come in today early. But uh, I know how your schedule sure. is and your travel schedule. But,
1: uh, yeah. yeah, we're, we're uh, as you know, my wife's family's in Wichita. So we're looking forward to making the trip. And, uh, and I, I can't wait to meet all the folks at AIWF. That's, that should be a fun time.
2: All right, thanks a bunch. We'll see you next Saturday right here on The Good Life.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds.